Well, when she had her first miscarriage, I had mentioned it to my just to my husband that, you know, if she ends up having infertility problems and struggles, I would love to be her surrogate. I would do that for her to help her. Welcome back to the Pregnish Podcast, where we tell amazing stories of people who build their families with the help of science and technology. One of the trends we haven't yet covered on this podcast is one that is part of my family story, which is gestational surrogacy. Gestational surrogacy occurs when the carrier is not the genetic mother of the embryo she is carrying. In my husband and my case, I tried to unsuccessfully carry a pregnancy to term for close to a decade and learned through many fertility treatments, failures, and losses that the embryos we created at the fertility clinic were healthy and would more likely result in a live birth if we transferred them into a healthy uterus other than mine. Again, this was our genetic material, my egg, my husband's sperm, and we needed the baby to grow outside of my body. We also needed to find a proven healthy uterus to carry this embryo for us. And what does proven really mean? Essentially that the person who would carry had had successful and healthy live births before and that her uterus checked out to be one that would give the fetus the best chance of growing into a full-term baby. So I'm so thrilled to welcome two guests today that have a pretty amazing and developing family story. Brianna Lockwood and her mom, Julie Loving, welcome to the Pregnantish Podcast. Hey. Hi. Hi. So we titled this episode, When Your Mother Births Your Baby. Um, so I think we, we have a lot of explaining to do for all of those who have tuned in. Uh, Brianna, can you summarize your, your family story in, in a nutshell? Yes, we started to try to have a baby in 2016, right after our wedding, actually. My grandpa, we found out he was sick with cancer and terminally ill, so we decided to kind of speed up the process and start a little earlier than we were originally planning, and then things didn't really happen right away, so we went and spoke with Dr. Kaplan at Fertility Centers of Illinois, where... At first, it was kind of just undiagnosed. We really didn't have a reasoning behind why we weren't falling pregnant. And we did have some successful pregnancies through IVF, but sadly kept losing those pregnancies, resulting in miscarriage. And how old were you when you initially sought help at the fertility center? I was 26, 27. Wow. So you suffered miscarriages. You had had successful IVFs in that you got pregnant, but you didn't stay pregnant. Correct. Yes. Then what happened? I actually got pregnant with twins in DC. It's October of 2018. We were pregnant with twins through IVF. They're fraternal twins. And we had gone and seen Dr. Kaplan. Everything was looking great. Heartbeats and everything were looking great. Uh, we were graduated from our fertility clinic, as they call it. And then we went for our first appointment at our OBGYN and had found out that we had lost both of them. Oh, it's devastating. I'm so sorry. So when that happened, how far along were you? I was about 11 weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was our 11-week appointment. Then they had just kind of recommended that we have a DNC to kind of remove the pregnancy at that point. With twins, it kind of puts your body a little further than with a singleton. Plus, I didn't, I, they didn't, it didn't look like I was going to be able to naturally pass the pregnancy on my own. We went in for a DNC and completed that procedure and then later found out that the DNC had caused some damage to my uterus in the form of like scar tissue, which I later 
had learned that it's a complication called Asherman syndrome. Asherman syndrome, they say it's a rare complication, but it's just so undiagnosed. I don't think a lot of people know they even have it to to really call it rare at this point. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I've learned a lot about it since being diagnosed where there's like a whole group of women online who kind of rally around behind it or are trying to get the word out on the topic. And it essentially means there's scar tissue in the uterus, which is preventing a healthy pregnancy from growing, correct? Yeah. So yeah. scar tissue bands kind of form across the uterus. So it doesn't expand properly or there isn't, the scar tissue can kind of leave on the wall of the uterus where the embryo won't implant anymore. And how do you test for that? How did you get that diagnosis? So it can only be diagnosed through a hysteroscopy, so hysteroscopic surgery. Okay, so, wow, you've been through a lot. At this point, after your terrible loss and your DNC, how old were you? How long had this been going on? The DNC was in December of 2018, so I was 28 mm-hmm. at that point. And I, I'm just flagging this for a minute before we move on with your amazing growing family story, because I think one of the missions we have at Pregnantish and telling the story of modern family building is to say it's not always an age issue. Infertility is a disease, literally defined as a disease by the CDC, the World Health Organization. And you being 27, 28 and experiencing so much loss, I think we have to change the narrative of how easy it is to conceive as long as you're under 35. Yeah, no, definitely. It's a completely not even relative to say that infertility is just after 35. I think most of the people I've met have been well under 35 through this process. Did you know others who had, you know, in your mid-20s, your late 20s going through this, or did you find them online? Who did you connect with during this terrible episode? Yeah, I did. I found actually people in my hometown to connect with. In the beginning, I was really secretive about it. But once I became more open about it, you really saw like how many other people were struggling silently too, just not kind of discussing the matter. So you're sitting beside your mother and I want to catch everyone up to speed as to why we invited your mother to sit next to you. And Julie, I just love to hear your perspective. Well, Brianna was going through this terrible experience and the losses. What was your experience like as her mom? It was rough. I felt like I was going through it with her. She was pretty open with me about everything. So I knew everything that was going on. And When she had her first miscarriage, you know, it was very heartbreaking. As a mom and dad, you know, you want to fix things for your kids. You want to make it better. And you literally have no control. Like, you can't help them. You feel so helpless. Just watching her, her suffer was horrible. It was hard. I'm sure, no doubt. I think also this is an undertold story, how families feel when their loved one is struggling and you do feel powerless and it's hard to know what to say or what to do, but you did something quite extraordinary. So can you tell us about what happened next with you and with Brianna through this chapter? Well, when she had her first miscarriage, I had mentioned it to my, just to my husband that, you know, if she ends up having, keep having infertility problems and struggles, I would love to be her surrogate. I would do that for her to help her. Not thinking it'd really come to that. You know, I wanted her to carry her own child. But when she lost the twins, I happened to be with her at that appointment because we actually, her husband had to work. He couldn't make it. And we felt like everything was going really smooth. And so I went with her to that appointment. And that was, that was a very devastating appointment. (laughs) 
So that's when I really started reaching out to her and just like, you know, let her know that I would be her surrogate and help her fulfill her dreams. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of how it all started. Brianna, when your mother said this to you, what was your first reaction? How did you feel? What did you think? (laughs) I said no. (laughs) True. Uh, I said no multiple times. I said no so many times that I was getting mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stop <laughs> offering to do this beautiful yeah. selfless act, mother. No, I get I get it, though, because it's why did you say no? I think I know why I said no when people would offer it to me. But why, why did you say no the first many times? I said no in the beginning because I, I really didn't think it was a possibility for her to carry at that point. I felt like if I let my heart kind of like hope that it was going to happen or that she would be able to do it. And I was told no, that I would just be more devastated. So I just kind of put no in my head. Like that's not a, that's not an option. I knew someone with the surrogate guidelines were, and I knew she didn't really clear those. Like what? Um, what did you think she didn't clear? Because I think people, again, and I said it at the top of the episode, nobody just gets or just becomes a surrogate. It's a big process. What did you think would be a barrier? Well, her age, number one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mom. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Can we be open about your age, Mom, or is this uh, something well, we don't? I'm 51. So you guys look she... like sisters, so that that's <laughs> that's a you. good thing too. But um, 51 years old, so you thought the age would be a barrier? Yeah, from everything that I read and understood from clinics and what they were saying was they wanted 38, 42 would be pushing it, 45 would be the biggest exception. You know, it's so interesting because I think people, the average person doesn't realize that it's eggs that age faster than uteruses do. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't usually, I think the oldest uh, person to have a ba- genetic baby through IVF was 50, like the oldest. So, but uteruses, we saw a grandmother, I think in India, deliver a baby in her 70s and it made front page news. They never talked about her eggs though, <laughs> but no. but it was her uterus. So Julie, what made you think at 51 that that wouldn't be an issue or were you concerned about that too? I feel pretty healthy as a 51 year old. I've taken really good care of myself. I do a lot of running in triathlons. I'm a two-time Boston Marathon runner. So wow. I knew that I was in tip top shape. And I've never been on any kind of medications for like blood pressure, cholesterol. So I felt like I would be a good running candidate for her. Yeah. Give it a shot. Let me go through the test, you know, and see where we're at. What was the turning point? So Brianna was saying, no, 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 no. I also want to talk about your partners next, but Brianna (laughs) saying, no, 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 no. How did it get time for you to even take the test to see if you'd qualify? What, what changed or what happened? I saw an article in a magazine of a 61 year old woman who did it for her son. And I was at work and I picked that up and she had already been kind of throwing it out there at me multiple times and I was stopped responding I think. <laughs> and so then I had shown her the article and she was like see I can do this let me let's <laughs> let's go ask like, let's try to do this and I had already kind of mentioned it to my fertility doctor but he he hadn't met my mom at that point so he was just like no probably not well, because um, so many people probably come in and think that's a viable option, and he knows most of the time exactly. it's not. And I totally understand that. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it all changed. Actually, I was in the fertility clinic for just a regular exam 
type thing. And my mom came with me to that appointment. And I think she maybe came with me to that appointment on purpose. (laughs) Uh, Because she knew that she would be meeting Dr. Kaplan that day. Yeah. And we did kind of discuss, you know, I was in denial at that point. I think Dr. Kaplan knew that a surrogate was our only option, but I was still, you know, I wasn't done kind of through that trying my own body. And then after he did the exam, he had kind of said, like, you know, let's, we got to, like, talk about the surrogacy option. I think that's the best choice for you. And my mom just kind of chimed in in the corner over there and was <laughs> like, I want to do it. And he kind of looked at her. He had come in the room and he's like, this is your mom? Like, oh, yeah. like, I thought this was your sister. <laughs> like, you know. So you um, get that a lot, I'm sure. Yeah. So, so, and, you know, it's funny because I... I think that when most people offer, I had friends say to me, I'll be your surrogate. They had no idea what was involved. But Julie, you had been with your daughter through these terrible appointments. You had seen probably her taking shots. You knew some of the process. You weren't just coming in blind, it sounds like. Um, I I knew what was all involved. She was very invested. I just want to thank you also, Brianna, for mentioning how hard it was for you to let go of carrying the pregnancy. Because if you're anything like me, when I worked with a gestational surrogate, so many people told me I was lucky. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh, I would love to have had a surrogate and not carry a pregnancy, which I get because obviously it's, it's very hard to carry a pregnancy. But it was also really hurtful because I had put my body through hell trying to sustain a pregnancy for years. And it's what I wanted so badly. How did you let go? What did you do to kind of move on from that dream of carrying your own child and then entrusting your mom? You know, letting go of that, I'm still letting go of that. I think I'm still, like, hopeful that, like, something would happen for me eventually. Even some somebody had asked me that the other day, you know, because people like to ask questions, like, when are you having your next kid? Like, <laughs> yeah. Give me a minute. (laughs) Yeah, like, let's just wait. But I love those questions because I think it's important to teach people maybe to say other things than what they're going to ask. So I would love for someone to ask me, oh, wow, you're so lucky you can't carry your own child. So I could give that right back to them. Yeah, with a bit of an education. Exactly. Is there anything, misconceptions you've, you've heard or faced that you want to address? Misconceptions? I think since this has gone, like, viral... I have gotten so many comments and I think like the, the common like thing I'm getting is like, why didn't you just adopt? Mm. And I'm sure you've heard, you know, maybe you've heard that. I, and, I heard it like 600 times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's hurtful to mm. say that because I don't know why you would just pin that on just somebody, an infertile couple when anybody has the opportunity to adopt and adoption isn't off the table for us, even in the future. But this was just the option that worked out for us right now. And Mm so I think that there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I I wouldn't go through all that. Or, oh, you're going to have your mom carry your child. Why wouldn't you just adopt a child? And it also undermines the incredible lengths people go to when they adopt, which it could be a beautiful, also beautiful family building story, but it's not without its pain and bills and setbacks. Right. So it just 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 needs to be eliminated from when we give anyone advice. We need to get rid of that word. Just do this or you should do that. Do you live together, especially now we're interviewing through a quarantine during COVID-19? Are you in the same house or the same area? 
when we began our surrogacy journey, we decided to sell our home and that kind of allowed us that financial freedom to kind of navigate whatever was going to come at us next. We didn't know if this was going to work for my mom, if we were going to go have to go through an agency route and we didn't want to be restrained financially. So we did move in with my parents here. So we've been here since December. <laughs> when was the embryo transfer, Julie? When when did you undergo that treatment? February 25th. So you'd been living together for a little bit before that. So how did your partner respond to this offer you made and this next huge step you were going to take? He's super supportive. He was on board probably before I was. I mean, he was always like, you can do this. You're healthy. You know, let's just give it a try. He's always been there 100% supportive. Even when I started feeling kind of nervous, he's like, you know, you can do this, you know. It'd be, it's so wonderful. And he was very encouraging. So, well, you both picked really good men. I just want to say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, you know, because this is a process that involves so many people. That's another thing I don't think people realize when we talk about modern family building. We're talking about doctors, nurses, embryologists, but we're also talking about our whole network, like everybody's involved, even when they're physically not involved, like, like you are. So now that you're, pregnant. Take me through when that pregnancy test showed the lines. Take me back to that day. What happened? Do you want to start? (laughs) Well, it was actually a dual transfer. So because I'm still in denial, (laughs) Dr. Kaplan had transferred one embryo for my mom and one embryo for me. And I actually didn't tell my mom, but I tested first and I tested positive. But unfortunately, that resulted in an ectopic pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And just confirmed, you know, that my uterus is, you know, it has complications that embryo is looking for a place to implant and it's not where it needs to be. My mom had tested the next morning yeah. and hers, I and wasn't going to, I wanted to wait like another day, but she was like, look, just when I got my positive, I was like, okay, you got, look, to, you test. got to test. You got to yeah. test. So she came out of the bathroom and she looked all upset and she's like, <laughs> it's negative. And I go, give me that. Held it up to the light, you know, like we do. And I'm taking it apart by then. I'm like, no, it's positive. And she's like, what? Yeah. I mean, I remember taking the pregnancy test when I was pregnant with my kids, but I was a lot further along not thinking, you know, there was a very bright pink line there (laughs) with this one being only five days past the transfer. It was a very faint line. So to me, it was, you know, yeah, it it was super faint. It was really faint. To to us infertiles, that faint line is everything. (laughs) We know how to, we know how to zero in, narrow in on it. And then what has it been like since? I mean, when did you get this positive test? Was it in, in March, end of February? It was, end of February. it was like the very first of March. Like end of February, March beginning of March. We she got her first um, blood test result back that it was positive, and then the world was like shutting down for like the virus and everything. At the the shelter in place order had gone into effect. So from there, it was just terrifying. I mean, yeah. every day was just terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you guys have gone through so much. And then what you have to add a global pandemic to it, really. But how are you weathering that? We're still in it. How's that been? I haven't really gone anywhere. No. Um, I've been pretty much at my house since March. I went out maybe three times to an actual store. I'm still scared to go out there. It's been just 
so hard to get to this point, you know, and it's like, so now I just want to like not go anywhere. <laughs> I don't want anything bad to happen. Oh my but. gosh, you're an angel. I, I, but I get it because a lot of times, especially now the doctors are saying we don't have enough data on yeah. pregnancy uh, during COVID. I mean, we, this is a novel virus. So you guys are living together. So in real time, are you, Brianna, is it hard not to tell your mother, you know, what to do? <laughs> or are you just fully um, trusting that she she's taking yeah. care of herself and you don't need to weigh in with anything? I don't really have to tell her what to do because she's actually just naturally more of a healthy person than me. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't, she I, just, she's been really good. She's, she has spoiled me rotten. She's bought me so many cute clothes and, you know, anything I need, if I get a craving, she's like, what do you need? I'll get it. <laughs> she's been really good about reminders, you know, just make sure you remember to take your aspirin and your prenatal and, you know, just you know, just I've been the, better about that. she's been better. It was every day. Now it's, you know, she's, she's letting loose a little bit, but I'm letting my guard down. Yeah. <laughs> my first cousin was in New Jersey and I was in New York and that was a good thing. Cause I was still 45 minutes away, but I went to important appointments with her. And I remember once she called me, is it okay that I really like to drink fruit punch while I'm pregnant? And my <laughs> husband and I laughed our head off. It's like, we've been trying for seven years. Drink I'll send you a case of fruit punch. I don't care what you do right now. How do you imagine? I mean, we don't know where the world is going, obviously, but how do you imagine the day? When are you guys due? And how do you imagine that day to be? So we're due in November. I've been trying to picture what that, you know, delivery is going to look like. But with the news and the virus and the rules changing every day, it's hard to really you know, we had a plan where originally we wanted, you know, me and my husband and my dad in the delivery room. So, but if it's only going to be one of us, it's probably just going to be me. Is that, yeah. Yeah. I really wanted my husband to be in there because he just knows me. He knows what to do, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's, it's, it's a little nerve wracking just having Brianna in for the (laughs) lab for the laboring part. So yeah, it's a little scary. No, no doubt. Um, It's scary even without that. How has this changed your relationship? It sounds like you guys were always incredibly close, but how, what has changed? Has anything changed? No, we're still close. Mm -hmm. The same. Yeah. I I don't think before this had even happened, we were the family that was like, camping together in the Grand Canyon and like sleeping in our cars and doing crazy hiking trips. So they're I feel like we couldn't get closer yeah. than we have. Yeah. It feels and I'm really close to Aaron. He's just like my son. We've been on so many vacations and we're a very open family. So he's pretty comfortable with all yeah. of us. Well, that's amazing. What's the family story you are going to tell your granddaughter and your daughter? We just plan to be completely open from the beginning, you know, mm-hmm. as soon as she, you know, we'll just always kind of explain even before she's young enough to understand until she maybe starts to register that this is where you came from and this is how you got here. It's never going to be some like big sit sit down moment where we like tell her just going to be her story. And whenever, whatever she asks, it's completely open. I think that's beautiful. I think that's how we destigmatize not only infertility, but modern family building stories is mm-hmm. to normalize it 
by not, you know, some people tell, sit their children down and say, mommy went through hell <laughs> before yeah. you arrived. And these kids are five years old going, uh, <laughs> you know, th this sounds like a very scary, terrible story. So as a loving family, it sounds like you're going to be so loving and open, which is the best way to to be with, with children. I'm so inspired by your story. We want to follow it in real time with the pregnant audience who are cheering you on. And you're giving a lot of people hope because it seems that when you see a quote unquote, perfect looking family, they, they had an easy path. And so to expose the stories of what really happens behind the scenes is how we're all going to have a more authentic life. And I think feel less alone when we're, when we're struggling. So you're, you're helping in, to that end. And I really thank you so much for being here. Thanks for listening to The Pregnish Podcast, where we tell the incredible stories of the amazing lengths people go to to build their families and share the latest trends in the world of reproductive health. When science and technology meet family, we have a lot of great stories to tell. Please subscribe to your future episodes. And hey, if you like this one, tell your friends. Until next time. <laughs>